0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Good morning, everybody. Um, that's correct. My name is Sam Wright. Um, it's a real privilege to get to be here this morning and get to preach God's Word to you. Um, I've known Kylam for a while. We actually got assessed by Acts 29 on the exact same weekend, I don't know, like 10 years ago, so... That's when I first met him, and so I've been tracking along, following along the church, and from a distance. And so, it's a super, you know, just an awesome privilege to get to kind of come and share God's word this morning, even whilst tears away. I said, "No, Shane, as well. We did mission together." Anyway, let's get into God's word. So, if you have your Bibles, open them up at Matthew chapter seven. Um, we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Well, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things, to those who ask him? Let me pray. Well, Father, as we come into this moment now, we, we sit In this moment, just before the preaching of your word, we have read it, and now we hear it proclaimed. Father, make it live to us, we pray. Make your word live to us. Show us the glories of the promises that are found in this passage, that we would scratch the surface this morning and, and begin to believe, oh, it would change everything. And so give us that kind of grace, we pray. Um, Grace and grace alone is what we need in this moment for it to be of any lasting help, for it not to just be a fleeting thing. And so we we ask for your help. I ask for your help, but we all need your help to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I know this is now week six in your Freed 2 series, so I'm coming in at weeks, I know you've had five weeks of Freed 2, where the big idea is, as I've I've come to learn um, from Kylam, is that that we would know that we're not just freed from a bunch of things as Christians, as people who become to, come to know Christ, who are converted. What happens in that moment is not just that we are freed from a bunch of stuff, not that that's not important, that's gloriously, amazingly, excellent things to know, what we have been saved from, freed from, namely sin, Satan, and death. Those aren't small things but also for the Christian to know what we are also being freed to, right? It's important not just to have only half the picture. I picture, imagine, um, if you met like a, a formerly orphaned, Slave child and who has been adopted by a a generous, wealthy, loving, caring family. If you met that child and you only got to know when, what were you saved from, what were you freed from, and you didn't get to know them, know from them the life that has been opened up to them, well, you wouldn't know their full story, would you? That's the same for the Christian. It's It's not just, it's one thing to know what we've been saved from, but for the Christian, a whole new world, a whole new life has been opened up to us. What is that life like? Well, you've been going through a whole different bunch of things, but this morning we are looking at our new freedom, the freedom that the Christian has to, freed to, ask. That is, the Christian is someone who has been freed to, invited to, actually, if you look in the Bible, commanded to ask God for things. That that amazes me. Just that that's a command in the Bible. That is that's like commanding, you know, really awesome things. You know, I, I tried this out in the car on the way here, just so I had an illustration for this. And so I didn't tell the kids this uh, first of all, but I turned around and I said to the kids in the car, I said, all right, we've got a rule, and and I, I tried to be serious, and I think I pulled it off. And um they and I said, Look, I don't want to have to say everyone listen really carefully. I don't wanna to have to say this twice, okay? Each Sunday, the Everyone listening, we are going to eat donuts and watch TV. Do you? That's a command. That is a that is a command. And so, that's an awesome command because it was confusing at the time. It sounded very serious and like they were in trouble. But that's you know that. But I get the, I get that kind of sense from this. When God says, "Hey, ask." That's a command. Come to me and ask for things. You go, really? That's a command you're going to you're going to command us to get to do something as profoundly glorious as that. Um, so to come at this. Glorious idea that we have been freed to ask. I've gone to probably the most obvious part of the Bible where God we do get commanded to ask, and it's where Jesus is standing on the well. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you know the the kind of background to the Sermon on the Mount, but if we have like a little bit of um, context for this command that Jesus does in this moment in the Sermon on the Mount, it will fill out. The, I think some of the profound, glorious moment that this is in the Sermon on the Mount. The context follows from actually, I think, a pretty good place where I know that you as a church have been going through the book of Exodus. And I think the Exodus is actually a significant background to this Sermon on the Mount. Because what what happens in the Exodus, okay? You have Moses who leads the people of Israel out of slavery and having led them out of slavery in Egypt, they go into the wilderness and they stop at Mount Sinai when Moses goes up a mountain and receives the law of God and declares to the people, people having been freed from slavery, here's how the people of God are to live now. Well, fast forward, you have Jesus and the Old Testament points to Jesus. He's in in, in many ways the true and the better Moses who leads his people out of slavery from sin, from death, from, from Satan, leads us out of slavery. He walks up a mountain and he declares to the people of God, this is how you are to live. Now, the, the, the order of that is so important. Israel were told how to live after they were freed. So that God did not come to the people of Israel whilst in slavery and say, live like this, right? Get all these things down. Here's how you got to do the tabernacle and, and, and so forth. And then I will set you free. No, you are freed to live. Free to live like this as God's people. Well, it's the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. We have been freed to live like this. So the Sermon on the Mount is not a bunch of things in order that you might become a Christian, that you might do these things and you will, and that becomes obvious just even the way that the Sermon on the Mount is set up, right? Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 1, sets up the whole sermon like this. It says this, Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. His disciples. This sermon of the mount, the most famous sermon ever preached, was preached primarily to the disciples. Crowds were there, but it was the disciples of that inner circle. The crowds can listen in, but this is for Jesus' followers. Here's how to live as my people. Notice the first line of the Sermon on the Mount. What is it? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's his first line. I don't know if Jesus went, I don't think he did go to kind of Bible college preaching training where they were, you know, because you're usually told, tell a funny story or, you know, some kind of like an interesting kind of grab everyone's attention with your latest trip to the dentist or something like that. But Jesus does it, but it is attention grabbing, isn't it? Why is this attention-grabbing? Because he puts everything on the line. It's attention-grabbing because he's talking about our salvation. He says, are you in the kingdom of God? Well, then my attention is he's got it. Well, who is in the kingdom of God? Who inherits the kingdom of God? What does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not blessed are those who do everything I'm about to say so that you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. No, blessed are those who everything I say, well, you'll realize... I haven't done any of that. And you become poor in spirit. That is bankrupt in spirit, poverty of spirit in the, in the person who says, I've got nothing to bring. I, I need grace. Well, blessed, is the poor. blessed are the poor in spirit. They're the ones who get the kingdom of heaven. So what follows is, so the first and foremost question when it comes to the kingdom of heaven is, are you in it? Are you in it? Jesus uses his first line to say, Is that you? Are you in the kingdom of God? Well, having been brought into the kingdom of God, how will you live? How will you live now? It's like basically this series, isn't it? Having been freed from, well, now freed to. And man, the things that Jesus commands in the Sermon on the Mount, it's just like, like, it is a wondrous thing to be a Christian, isn't it? To, to live like this. Like it's, so where it's blessed, where you're blessed to be persecuted. You know, what a grand calling for the Christian. Where righteousness goes all the way beyond actions to the heart. So for the Christian, anger is like the sin of murder. Lust is like the sin of adultery. Where, if someone in this world, you know, in this upside down kingdom, you know, from the world, where if someone slaps you on the right cheek, you turn to them your left. If someone takes your tunic and you go, here's my coat as well. Where you're forced to go one mile and you say, I might do an extra mile for you. To love your enemies and you pray for your enemies. Where you do good deeds in secret without needing to be noticed or applauded by people, where your rewards are just in heaven. You're storing up treasures in heaven. That kind of life. Where you're not sinfully anxious about our lives. Things like, you know, Jesus describes don't be anxious about things, you know, like what you'll eat, what you'll wear, you know, what you'll drink. That kind of life. Not judgmental of others. Kind of life where you take out the plank in order to take out the speck in a brother's eye. And you just go, you I mean, by that time, that's all before our, our passage, okay? You go through all of that, you're just like, that is an unbelievable calling. I think you read that and you have at least two different reactions. Wow. One, wow, that is a wondrous, grand thing to be a Christian, to be called to live like this. The other reaction is, That's really hard. Who is sufficient for these things? Who's adequate to live like that? I see the beauty of it. I just don't know about the possibility of it to live like that. And it's at the end of the body section of the Sermon on the Mount that we get our passage. So you've had the introduction, you've had the body section, and right at the end of the body section, having been kind of given this grand vision of the Christian life, we get this passage where Jesus turns to the topic of prayer. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote about this section. He said this in his commentary, I cannot imagine a better, more cheering or more comforting statement with which to face all the uncertainties and hazards of our lives in this world of time than that contained in verses 7 to 11. It is one of the most comprehensive and gracious promises which are to be found only in in the Bible Jesus says this think verse 7 ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you now because that's probably almost too profound and too sweeping I'm going to read it again and just hear that again because that's think about Jesus is saying this to us this morning Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Command, promise, command, promise, command, promise. Like repetitive, so that we get it. Have you got it? No, you don't have it? Kind of repetitive, hammer strokes, so that you would get it. Command and promise. Maybe you didn't get it from verse seven. So then he repeats it in verse eight. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So the verse, the, the, the emphasis in verse eight, coming from following on from verse seven, is the who. Who is this for? Because you might have read verse seven and God asks and it will be given to you, and you thought, then that must be for someone else. That must that must be. For, you know for, for particularly spiritual maybe pastors or bible study leaders and and people like that and and the emphasis here is on the who notice the first, the first word of verse 8 is for right for so verse 7 was ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be and the door will be open to you why for because everyone who asks receives it's the one who seeks that finds. It's to the one who knocks that the door is opened. This is for everyone. This is for every disciple. How do you know who are the ones who are going to receive? I'll tell you, it's everyone who asks. But how do we know who's the one that's, you know, that are going to be able to find? Are they the extra spiritual ones? Are they the ones who have done Bible calls? No, it's the one who seeks. They find. But who gets these doors open to them, right? The the ones that, that, you know, the morally superior. No, no, no. They're the ones who knock. They're the ones who knock. It will be open to you from the least to the greatest, well known to the unknown, the wealthiest to the poorest. This is a promise, in other words, for everyone in this room. Now, we do have to be careful with a passage like this because if you rip it out of context and you inform the kind of the asking and the seeking and the knocking with not the Sermon on the Mount, but with us and what we want, then we might go astray, right? And so instead of informing it by, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, we're like, ask and it will be given to me and so we inform the kind of asking the seeking and the knocking with things that we want right it's like I'm going to name some things and I'm going to claim some things and so I want a bit of that car and I would like that house and I would like that kind of health and I would like that kind of lifestyle and so but what are we doing well we're filling up this passage in the Sermon on the Mount not with the Sermon on the Mount but with us wow what a shame That we would cheapen such a glorious promise from God with such trivial things. Jesus puts before us, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, just this glorious life. This life of humility, lowliness. Blessed are those who mourn, they're comforted, you know. Blessed are the persecuted you know store up treasures in heaven do good deeds in secret it's the meek that inherit the earth think about the request of the the lord's prayer which which jesus which is in the sermon on the mount teaching us to pray our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name you know your kingdom come they're all six requests your will be done on earth as it is in heaven oh give us today our daily bread you know forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who sin against us Oh, and lead us not into temptation. And then we get to the, you know, so Jesus taught us to pray and he's filled up the kind of character of the person in the kingdom of God. And then we get to a, a promise like ask, seek and knock and we're like, hmm, money. You know, it's like, it's like, no, that's too small. You know what I mean? That's too trivial. It's too small. It's just, that, 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 those kinds of things can't bear the weight of the, the, the promise. Ask, it will be given to you seek and you will find knock it will be opened to you man we just rip ourselves off hey see this passage is more about how to pray than what to pray but the what to pray has been told we've been told throughout the sermon on the mount the kind of life that we want it ain't all that material stuff you know Jesus told us how to pray in the lord's prayer and it was just to ask for the daily bread But at this point, to ask, what are we going to be asking for? Man, it's for the character of the kingdom of God in our lives. So this is the how. How is it? The main idea, I think, in the passage is prayer that's persistent. Persistent prayer. I think it's made emphatic in a couple of ways. First, notice the progression of the commands. They increase in intensity, don't they? From asking, to seeking, to knocking. Right. To ask is one thing, right? It's just words. But then to seek means you might have to kind of get up and go and do something, right? You're going to have to seek. And then to knock means, well, you've kind of come up against some kind of obstacle and you're going to have to knock and you're going to overcome that. Like it increases in intensity. If parents kind of know this with their kids. Uh, kids are in this morning, so you can listen in on this. Um, parents and kids uh, um, have this kind of dynamic, don't they? The kid might be like, you know, I don't know what it is. I'm hungry, you know. And so they might just call out from the couch wherever they are. Mommy, I'm hungry, you know, <laughs> it's like, I'm asking. Well, you may not receive, but, so if, uh, but they might persist in the asking. Uh, and if you persist in the asking, you might go seeking. So you get up off the couch and you're like, where is mom and dad? You know, and so you're looking around. And then you might find that they're behind a door, right? And so you start knocking on the door, right? And so hoping that the, you know, if it's the toilet, then the door will, will not be open to you. But if it's, if it's the bedroom, then then the door might be open to you. Do you see how it increases in intensity from the asking? See, the the, the the seeking is because you persisted persisted in the asking. The knocking is because you persisted in the seeking. Well, Matthew also shows the persistence by using um, a particular type of verb, and it's the present imperative tense of the commands. So there's one way to, in, in Greek, there's, there's one way to, to have a command, the verb, and it's a one-off thing. So it's like, would you just shut the door? Well, that's just a one-time thing, shut the door. But there's also a present imperative, which means don't just shut the door, but keep on shutting the door, which wouldn't make much sense. But in other times, it does make sense, and that's what Jesus is saying here. Hey, don't just ask, keep asking, and and you will receive. Don't just seek, keep on seeking. You will find, know that, you will find. Don't just knock once, no, knock and keep knocking. It will, it's a promise from Jesus. It will be open to you. But you must persist. I wonder what role persistence plays in your prayer life, in your Christian life. Martin Lloyd Jones again wrote this. He says, the most, He says this: the most fatal thing in the Christian life is to be content with passing desires. <sighs> The most fatal thing in the Christian life is to be content with passing desires. Would that mark our Christian lives? Just passing desires, one kind of desire, fleeting desire after the next, after the next. Fleeting desires for more of the Lord, fleeting desires for more holiness in our lives, fleeting desires to be kind of killing that sin just fleeting desires. It's like kind of Sunday, you kind of get that, yeah, I desire that again, you know, you get that conference or that podcast or, you know, it kind of, it stirs you up and you're like, yeah, I want that. I want more of the Lord. I want to know him and I want to kill sin. I want more holiness in my life. But does it last? Like, is it a fleeting desire? Is there persistence? Right? So like, does it make it through the week? Does it make it to the drive home from church? My guess is that it's not that we are never persistent in prayer. My question, I think the question that this passage asks us is, what causes us to be persistent in prayer? So I imagine we've been persistent in prayer when it comes to, perhaps our, people get ill around us, a children or a friend or even ourselves. Or we're facing kind of personal trials in our lives, and we kind of fall on our knees and become persistent in prayer, maybe financial troubles, maybe looking for a job needing work, an upcoming job interview exams for those at uni, that kind of thing, like a, that kind of you know, causes in us persistent in prayer. But do we persist in prayer for our own spiritual growth? Do you persist in prayer to kill sin? Do we persist in prayer to become more like Christ? Um, Kent Hughes asks this. He says, Do, he puts it this way. Do we ask, seek, knock for a pure mind? Do we keep on knocking for a forgiving spirit? Do we ask, seek, knock for the removal of an angry or critical spirit? You see, the character of those in the kingdom wanting the character of the kingdom of god in our lives does it drive us to our knees in persistent prayer and do we have confidence the confidence that the rock solid confidence that this passage is giving us if you do that you will get it that's jesus words if we would know god if we would walk with him it's just not going to come without persistence it's not just going to come from fleeting desires or one-off, knock, knock, no, no one. Okay, that's just not how it's. That's not how God's designed it. Throughout the Bible, it talks like this. Paul writes in in Philippians three: Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me has made me His own. I press on. I keep going. I'm not obtained everything that I I could have yet. Matthew twenty four thirteen. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Do you presently lack the godliness in your life that you wish you had? I'm sure we'd all say, yeah. Do you persistently persist in praying for that godliness? How holy do you want to be? How meek do you want to be? How humble? How much of a peacemaker do you want to be? How content do you want to be? How generous do you want to be? How, you name it, how patient do you want to be? Ask and keep asking. It will be given to you. Um, I'm a, I love the MBA, so I know I don't know if Kylan uses any NBA things. Kylan loves the NBA as well. So every now and then, we talk NBA together. And so I thought, I'm preaching here. I have to include an NBA illustration. And in the NBA, it was about this time, well, a bit earlier than this time last year. um, Anyone know, does anyone follow the NBA? Anyone know Chris Paul? Heard of Chris Paul? Anyway, superstar um, in the NBA. And so just take my word for it. And one of the greatest point point guards of all time okay point guards the guy that dribbles the ball the most and does a lot of passing and what have you. He's a superstar. He's been in the league 17 years now. It was 16 years last year. And he has come so close to kind of being successful in the NBA, like in a team. You know, he's successful by himself, but in a team, then he just fails all the time, right? They just he either gets injured, and it's just been a long 16 years, moving from team to team, just trying to win a championship. And it was, and, he, and last year he finally made it. They won the the Western Conference. So you've got the East and the West and the winners of those get to the NBA Finals. He finally got to the NBA Finals. And there's this, it was such an interesting thing to see him celebrate because he was so emotional. It was like this just massive burden. 16 years of trying and trying and trying, and he's finally made it to the NBA Finals. They lost in the end, but, but they made it to the NBA Finals, and that felt good, right? And, and he's having this um, interview at the end, and he's beside himself with like, the achievement of it all. And they asked him, um, what has kept you going when people thought it was all over for you? So many times people thought it was all over for Chris Paul. What kept you going? And he says that he says to, he said this, I say to myself all the time, and I have it written on my shoes can't give up now. Can't give up now. Can't give up now. And I was just challenged by that because here's a guy who's chasing super worldly, you know, things. Like he's got all the money in the world. He just wants to win a championship. He just wants to put the ball in the hoop, you know, and we're on a basketball court right now. This is perfect. Um, and, and like, he's just, he wants what? He wants the championship. He wants the fame. He wants the prestige. He wants the legacy of having an NBA championship. And he's like, I cannot give up now. I can't give up now. Persistence, persistence, persistence. And I just like, look at that. I go, well, that's of some earthly value, you know, physical exercise. But I get like spiritual things. Like the Lord, Jesus just lays out for me this life of of, of eternity, of of of. of of storing up treasures in heaven, and can I match the persistence with which he desires to just win a championship? And the Lord lays before me holiness to become like him. So shall we persist and ask and seek and knock so that we can receive things that neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves can't break in and steal? Well, look now at verse 9. Jesus gives us even more confidence to pray and to pray boldly. I love this. He does it by an illustration, and it's an everyday thing. It's a child asking a parent for food. We've already talked about that, haven't we? But this, is only, you know, this only happens about every three and a half seconds in my place. I want, I'm hungry and I want food. So we can all imagine this kind of scenario. A child wants food from their parent. So verse 9 says this. Or well, which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? So Jesus says, Come on, take you guys for example, okay? Just imagine this, you're a parent and you have a son. And the son comes to you and there's a very ordinary everyday situation and says, I would like some bread. Now you, what would you, what would you do? Well, would you say to your son, look, man, I'm sorry, man, we don't have any bread, but what we have a rock's? Oh, okay. would, you, would you be happy with a rock? Now the rock, you know, the, the, the child is not asking for great, glorious, grand things, are they? Bread is a staple of living; like it's a kind of pretty ordinary thing to ask. So he's not asking for an iPad, right? He's it's not, it's not like, I need a new iPad. Or, you know, I need eggs Benedict right now, Dad. No, he's just saying, just bread. And you're like bread for a request like that. What would a dad do? Well, here's a rock. Well, that's useless. Right? It's useless as far as nutrition goes. I'm no genius at that, but I'm pretty sure. Um, if you've got a particularly unintelligent child, maybe they'll bite it and break their teeth or something like that. They just then picked up that wasn't bread yet. Okay, well, that's scenario number one. It seems a bit ridiculous. No, of course not, Jesus. Of course, when a son asks for bread, you don't give him a stone. Scenario number two. You're still the parent and you've still got a child and the child's still hungry. And the child comes to you and says, you know, Dad, I would love some fish. I feel like fish. Like, okay. Well, son, I'm sorry, we don't have fish. What we do have is a poisonous snake. Would you like that? It's an absurd scenario, isn't it? Jesus is painting an absurd scenario. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't? Child's asking for basic things like just some a bit of food. Not crazy things. You can give him a stone, which is useless, or a poisonous snake, which is dangerous. Well, then, what does Jesus say? Verse eleven: If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? You see, it's it's an argument from lesser to greater. To be clear, we're the lesser. Right, that we're we're the verse just before. Right, you wouldn't even do that. Right, child comes along, gives ask for bread. You wouldn't even give them a stone. Ask for fish. You wouldn't give them a poisonous snake. You, right? Notice what Jesus says. And you are evil. Right, you're able to do that low bar of basic goodness to your kids, and you are evil. Notice he doesn't say we. You. Jesus is not evil ever. So there's a distinction there. You, compared to me, you, evil. Yeah, we're not evil. Well, the Bible talks about us in that way, not in the sense that everything we do is totally and utterly as evil as it possibly could be and that we're not capable of doing anything good, but the picture in the Bible is that we have a sinful nature. And so everything that we do is kind of corrupted by sin. And so we are by nature rebellious against God and and, and in that sense evil and he's saying if you like that, you can do basic goodness to a child how much more this is a rhetorical question, you're not meant to go well I don't even know how to measure that, you're not meant to measure it how much more will your heavenly father give good things, how much more infinitely more man that's encouraging because there's us and there's him we would do that. He'll do much more to give us the right things because he's our father in heaven. That's, what the, that's the basis. When you're praying, when you're asking, when you're seeking, when you're knocking, who are you praying to? Knowing who you're praying to is so important. Oh, for the sake of our prayers, we could not believe this too much that we are praying to our father, our father who is in heaven, caring in heaven, omnipotent, powerful, able to give but a father. Again, Lloyd-Jones says this, if you should ask me to state in one phrase what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christian lives, I would say that it is our failure to know God as our father, as we should know him. That is our trouble, not difficulties about particular blessings. I think that's such. So our greatest struggle spiritually, our struggles with the Lord, is not primarily and ultimately the different circumstances that are happening in our lives it's not those aren't our main struggles our main spiritual struggles in those difficult circumstances is the kind of the nagging suspicion has my father heavenly father given me a stone has he given me serpents well we begin to think Lord I ask for bread I'm looking around, I feel like you gave me a stone. I've been asking for fish. You gave me serpents. You know, I asked, I asked for a husband or a wife. You've given me singleness. I asked for healing. You've given me sickness. I asked for success. You've given me failure. I asked for riches. You give me poverty. I've asked for comfort. I feel like all that I've been given is trouble. In this passage this morning, brothers and sisters, on the, on the basis of God's word, I will say, he has not given you stones and serpents. He is a good father. How much more will he give good things to those who ask him? Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. You can be convinced at every moment, no matter what the trial, no matter what the struggle, you have not been given a bad gift from God. If there were a better spot for you to be, divine love would put you there. This is for you. Romans 8 verse 32, Paul writes this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see the, the logic? It's from Now it's from greater to smaller. If he who did not spare his own son, just this is the gospel kind of foundation for you are freed to ask, right? Freed to ask. Well, how did you get that freedom? He did not spare his own son. What did he do instead? He gave him up. He gave him up to live that perfect life but to die and bear the full wrath that we deserved for our sin. Every single sin borne by him on the cross. But the physical suffering is, is, is minimal compared to the spiritual suffering of bearing the wrath of God in our place. And he takes it and he dies and he rises again. He did not spare his own son. Well, how much will he give us all things that we need? How much confidence can we have that he will not, divine love will not give you bad gifts. He will not give you a stone. He will not give you a serpent. And the point now in this passage is to give you that kind of confidence. You will never in your life receive a bad gift from God. So the promise to give, what we ask, you go back to the beginning, Ask and you will receive. It's not a promise that ask for anything and I'll give it to you, right? Because he just said, I'll only ever give you good things. We might ask for things that aren't good. He won't give that to you. We might ask for things that are kind of good, but wouldn't be good for you now. And so he won't give that to you either. How many of us can be thankful that throughout our lives, God did not give us every single thing that we asked, you know? I mean, you just have wall to wall toys, like, you know, as a, kid, as a child, right? You're just asking for all kinds of things. If the Lord, if that's how you took that passage, ask and you'll receive, like a, God's like a genie now. No, that's not what's happening. I mean, do we want God? If we knew, if you knew, if you took from that passage in the wrong direction and went, God gives us everything that we ask, would you ever dare even ask for something? that'd be a frightening thought because he might actually give it and it might not be good for us. No, he only gives us good things. Alex Motcher, um, commentator, writes this. He says, that whatever we ask God was, plead, was pledged to give, then I for one would never pray again because I would not have sufficient confidence in my own wisdom to ask God for anything. And I think if you consider, if, if you consider it, you will agree. It would impose an intolerable burden on frail human wisdom if by his prayer promises God God was pledged to give whatever we ask, when we ask it, and in exactly the terms we ask. How could we bear the burden? It's good, isn't it? I think we can be thankful that God doesn't give us everything we ask, but we're promised that he will only ever give us good things. Jesus encourages us in that way. Since God is good, he will always give you good things. Since God is all wise, he knows what the good thing is, the best thing for you. And so you've been freed to ask. You're free to ask, knowing that he'll only do what's right. He'll only give you what's good for you. Um, he is not like us. Well, he's better than us. Um, Luke's version of this is, is super interesting. So, Luke has a parallel passage. Luke chapter 11, verse 13 says this If you then, so Jesus is talking, if you then who are evil, right, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You notice what he flipped, changed out? So, how much more in our passage will, will He give good things to those who ask? And Luke, he writes, he writes it down and it says, How much will He give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask that's awesome because what greater gift is there than the holy spirit yeah well if the holy spirit is all part of us, man we can be confident we are freed man we could even giving us the holy spirit he gives us everything that we need every grace needed every comfort needed every knowledge every wisdom that we need so let me close with just two things. A word for Christians and encouragement if you aren't a Christian here this morning. Christians, you've been set free. You've been set free to ask like this. Again, it's like commanding to eat chocolate and never, you know, freedom to eat chocolate and you won't get fat. Something You know, it's like, Really? This is a command? This is too good to be a command. John Stott wrote this. He said, What could be simpler than this concept of prayer? If we belong to Christ, God is our Father, we are His children, and prayer is coming to Him with our requests. God wants you to ask Him for things. He wants you to ask Him for things. The Lord's Prayer is literally just six requests. Three about God, three about us. Just request, come to him, ask, ask, ask away. It shows our dependence on him. God is honored and glorified when we ask him for things. And you can ask him the wrong way, obviously. You can treat him like a vending machine. Is like, I just us ask for that. But if you come like this, like to a heavenly father, and ask, he wants that, commands that. Brothers and sisters, God will help you if you pray and keep praying against those sins if you pray and keep praying ask and keep asking for him to work in you the most ultimate and most important things like the Sermon on the Mount to become true in our lives he will, he will, he will give it to you you, do you want to be done with those lies you long for purity you long to kill pride and anger in your life you long to be made more teachable You want to receive correction better. You want to become happily generous. You want to become more kind. You want to become more patient. You want to become more content. Ask. You will receive. Seek you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Seek God in persistent, passionate prayer. Why are we not who we could be in light of these promises? You just think, why aren't we who we could be? If these are the promises, why not? One answer has to be, we just haven't been asking. You do not have because you do not ask. And Jesus in this passage is saying to us, I have it if you want it. Here it is. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. John Newton wrote this song. He said, come my soul, thy case, prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray, therefore will not say thee nay. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. If you're not a Christian, here's here's what I can tell you with 100% confidence, and you can be confident. If you ask him, for eternal life he will give it to you today if you want God to be your father and you to be his child to be adopted into the family of God so that these kinds of promises are all yours ask and it will be given to you right john chapter 1 verse 12 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god you can become his child. He can become your father. And you, okay, I promise you, his fatherly disposition will be turned towards you. He will be ever loving, ever caring, watching over you. He has plans for you. He has purposes for you. He seeks to bless you. He exists to be a helper to you. He would love to be your saviour. It is his joy to be your saviour. And then it's his joy to continue on being your father, hearing your requests and answering your prayers. The greatest provision God has ever given to any one of us in this room is the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? Isn't it? Well, ask for that. Seek. Knock. You'll find. It's an encouragement, isn't it? Praise the Lord. That it's all right at our fingertips. That's what I get the sense from that passage, hey? Just that it comes at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the body section, it's laid out this glorious life, and I just think what a grand vision, what a grand thing it is to be a Christian. It's a wondrous thing. who, Who but, at the same time, how? We've been freed to ask. It will be given. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others